The following program, Our Unique Tales, is a five-part series which is being funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland under the Sound and Vision Fund. This program deals with adult themes and may contain audio that some listeners may find upsetting and or unsuitable for children. Discretion is advised. Declan Flynn, an Irishman, attacked and killed in Fairview Park in Dublin in 1982. On the day of his murder, a gang known as the Rollers hid in the park. Their plan was to hide behind trees to rid the park of what they called steamers. On this September evening, their plan ended in a brutal murder. Declan Flynn was savagely attacked, beaten with sticks, had multiple kicks to the head, back and stomach. This man was killed and tortured for one reason, because he was gay. Declan's five killers were found guilty in a court of law in 1983 but were all given suspended sentences by the judge. This decision of a suspended sentence caused outrage amongst many Irish people from the gay community and beyond. It caused a protest march. It took Declan's murder and the legal system's belittling of it to finally make Irish people take a stand. Enough was enough. His murder was seen as the catalyst for the LGBTQIA pride movement in Ireland. This year, when you march in a pride parade, or you watch from the sidelines, remember Declan Flynn's name. This series is dedicated to Declan. Hello, I'm Ed Roach, a 33-year-old man from a small town called Mallow. It's in County Cork in Ireland. At the age of 31, after years of keeping my sexuality a secret, battling with shame, self-hatred, embarrassment, rage and mainly fear, I pulled the courage out of somewhere and came out to my family as a gay man. 31 years of living a lie finally came to an end for me in January of 2019. Honestly, it's been the most courageous thing that I've ever done. And I've no doubt that some of my family and possibly even some of my friends are only figuring this out about me right now. Well, there you have it. I'm gay. And I'm proud. This series isn't really about me. It's a series which features some inspiring LGBTQIA figures in Ireland. Each of these wonderful people will be telling their story of what life was like growing up in Ireland as an LGBTQIA person and what life is like now for them.
In case you don't know what those letters stand for, here's a quick lesson. That's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, asexual, and the plus. Well, that represents however you identify. This is not my story. It's our story. This is our unique tales. Meet Chris McNaughton, otherwise known as Bear Strong, because he competes in strongman competitions. He is the first openly gay strongman in the UK and in Ireland, a sport which is mainly dominated by straight men. Chris is the owner of his own gym and is also a mental health and LGBTQIA campaigner. Today, Chris is putting the weights down and lifting a different kind of weight off of his shoulders. I have the pleasure of chatting to Chris Bearstrong McNaughton. And I begin by asking him what he was like as a young kid growing up. I suppose I would describe myself quite a bit as being like Cartman, um, you know, at South Park. That's why I always sort of think back to myself as a kid, you know, just as wide as I probably was tall. Um, growing up as a kid, I had played rugby since I was about 10. Uh, I was an absolute rugby fanatic. And um, I guess as a teenager, um, rugby was a sport that, that helped me get through a lot of difficult times and a lot of stuff and that. Um, sadly, I went to a football school, uh, which meant that there was no fit there at all for me type of thing. Um being massively overweight as well, like I, I was, always have been sort of a stone from the age type of thing growing up. Um, so it wasn't a great fit sort of where I was at school, but I held on to sort of the rugby and everything I have achieved and did with the rugby because outside of school I was a brilliant athlete, you know, brilliant rugby player. Um, really respected, really admired, um, you know, well, locally anyway, you know, for... Um, for rugby and, and my rugby skills and stuff, and uh, just where I was school-wise didn't suit great. And um, but growing up as a kid, I, I spent majority of my time with my dad. Um, we had a great relationship growing up. Whenever he wasn't working and stuff, weekends and that there would always have been spent with him. As I were rugby on a Saturday, and the rest of the weekend with my dad. Putting my dad, my nana most of the time. Um, wasn't a confident kid at all, right up till probably 18, 19. I would say that I had very little confidence, bad social anxiety. The thought of going into places with people and stuff just drove me mad type of thing. Um, very, very little confidence uh, up until about 18 or 19 and, and things started to change a bit. But all in all, I would say with the family set up and my rugby and stuff like that. I was a happy kid, like, you know, most of the time. Um, you know, there was a lot of bullying and there was a lot of shit that I went through, but, like, I think, I think the good times did sort of outweigh the bad. 
And what were kids bullying you for? Was it the fact that you were just somewhat overweight? Because yeah, you're just so overweight and it's just a pure topic for being bullied. Um, you know, maybe there was a side of things as well. You know, I was very proud that I played rugby and I would always wear my rugby tops, my rugby jerseys and stuff like that. And even the teachers at the school, like, you know, like I received and what in my mind was a great deal of bullying from the teachers um, because you weren't fitting uh, what they wanted through pupils. Um, remember there was a maths teacher who was just, he was just awful. And any, any time he seen me wearing a rugby jacket, he just wanted it off me type of thing. And, there was a PE teacher who sort of joined in with the bullying with the rest of the ones. Um, so it, it wasn't a it wasn't a great school. It wasn't a great school. It wasn't a great place to be. Clearly, school was made difficult for Chris at various times. But growing up as a child who felt a little different had many complications. Chris chats about the struggles his younger self faced. I remember, like as a, as a kid, going to bed every night and then. You got fear, like proper fear, when you went to sleep. So I, I used to be up crying constantly. And my parents always used to think it was to do with school and not wanting to go to bed because I had to go to school the next day. Um, and I guess that when they started talking about school, you sort of went along with that, you know. And a lot of people do ask me, well, why did you never tell your parents? And it's it's one of them things, you know, like when you, when you feel you've done something really bad or really wrong, when you feel that you've you've been a bad boy type of thing, you know, you've, you've done bad things, uh, you don't exactly run to your parents and tell them that you're in trouble or you've done bad things. And, like, you know, they're the last person you want to tell because you don't want... This is the mindset of a young kid. Um, you don't want them to, to, you know, you don't want them to know you've done something bad. You know, looking back now, like, you know, obviously you look back, with a more mature, sensible head, but you know, as a child, like you know, it's it's hard, like you know, to understand it all. And as I say, even at that age, like I just didn't, you know, you just didn't label yourself as being gay or anything like that. There, you know, and and there really, really wasn't like I went when I went back to my secondary school um, a couple of years ago, and there was like maybe 40, 50 LGBT students, uh, maybe more when in school. And when I was there, there wasn't a sinner who was openly LGBTQ. Um, you wouldn't, not one person would have been openly. Um, there, there was, there's, there's plenty of people who were there at school who had went on and they came out when they left school to be gay, but you would never have, have been gay when you were in school or admitted to it. Um, you know, so back then, like, you know, things were a lot different than they are today. And I'm not wanting to sound like a bloody old man when I say that, like, but like, they were, and there was very, very, very little, um, what's the word? There's very few public figures. There was, social media wasn't that big. So, you know, I sound really old when I'm saying all this shit, but like social media <laughs> wasn't that big and YouTube wasn't that big. Instagram wasn't even, didn't even exist. You know, you had no way to find people like me today, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so who did you, who did you go off? You know, Graham Norton, um, you know, TV presenters who, um, who yes, are gay, but they're not, they're not, personalities aren't the same as me. Um, so you, it was just a real, 
a real head fuck, like, you know, back then. It was just very, very hard to to understand any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the age of 19 or 20, you started to lift weights. Um, you know, I was always a big guy too. And actually, it's funny when you say about your weight and how your age was pretty much the same as your weight. I remember the exact same thing. When I was 14, I was 14 stone. I was 15, I was 15 stone. So very similar situation. For me, sports scared the crap out of me. Um, one of the main things was the changing room. That for me, I remember I'd wear my tracksuit bottoms under my school pants just because I didn't want to take off my pants in the changing rooms. Did you ever experience any sort of, I guess, anxiety just around the changing rooms? Not that anything essentially would happen, but that, I don't know, just your insecurities kind of take over. No, 100% I did. Like, I, I, from a kid, I grew up with um, higher levels of estrogen um, since I was a, a wean. Um, and I developed the term would be known as man boobs. Um, and I always had that you know, from when I was no age. You know, I think a lot of people look at it now and, and they think it's a side effect of steroids or something like that there, but it's been something that I grew up as a teenager having. It's just estrogen levels were too high as a teenager and it led to gynomascular tissue. And it, it sort of shows that, um, you know, what would be known as, as sort of man boobs. And it was something that I was incredibly insecure about. Um People grow up with different insecurities, and being being gay and being a gay man and being attracted to other men, those insecurities hit a lot harder because a heterosexual man fancies a woman. He doesn't fancy a man. So he has no understanding um, or no thought process of what it's like to find qualities attractive in a man. And what I sort of learned a lot about the gay community is that um, we, 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 we fancy men and gay men fancy, fancy men and fancy a certain type. And, um, you know, you sort of have educated yourself in your own head of what's attractive. And if you're looking in the mirror and that's not looking back, then that's very hard to look at yourself and see yourself in an attractive way. A heterosexual man who doesn't look at men in an attractive way doesn't have that same... Um, connection, looking in the mirror, like, don't get me wrong, heterosexual men, of course, um, can have self-esteem problems, uh, but that would be more verbally things that are said by somebody else to bring a heterosexual man down. A homosexual man, sort of, from no age, has had an idea of what's attractive, and if he looks in the mirror and he doesn't see that looking back, then that could be a really mentally hard thing to actually see yourself in an attractive way. Hmm. But self-esteem issues and body confidence, I think, come at a young age and stay with us for a very long period of time. Stay with me, led to my very, very late 20s before I started to learn to love myself. And when you do start loving yourself, it's incredible like how your the world starts to change around. But we're so, always so scared to say that there. Like people are so scared to say, I love myself because it's, it's we're always told it's a bad thing. Yeah. Stop loving yourself, you know, you love yourself too much. <laughs> it's never a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be cocky and to be arrogant. But it's never a bad thing to love yourself and be confident in yourself. Uh, Chris, um, there was a moment, many moments, I guess, where you didn't essentially love yourself. At the age of 23 was when you uh, massively battled with your mental health. Um, now, you did tell us, you know, you've kind of given us an insight into how you've somewhat recovered. But during that period of time, 
Um, what happened? What were you going through? What was going on in your head? There was a, there was a lot of things that were sort of um, that, that, that added to it. But looking back now, I could sort of see that um, my sexuality and not being open and honest about who I was played that played a massive role. Um, when I was 23, 24, I can't remember what the exact age was. Um, everything just sort of, you know, since I was, since I was in my early 20s, um, I've had suicidal thoughts. I still have suicidal thoughts to this day. Um, and it just got to a stage sort of mid-20s where I guess I just got very weak with the whole thing about fighting it. Um, and I, I, I went to take an overdose. Um, luckily, it was stopped because my parents sort of thought something was wrong. Um, I came home early, um, found me, and, and got me help. Help. Um, it was literally a moment of just, just pure, no strength left, just no, no energy left, just no fight left type of thing and it was just no maybe a lot of it as well was just not seeing another way out you know the things that I did afterwards you know after the suicide attempt the things I did afterwards helped to I always sort of tell this story about the thing that's that has helped me massively as I look back at that time uh, when I look at myself at that time, I think of myself as in this big, dark room with no doors, no windows, no nothing. Just sat in the middle of a room, and there's there's four black walls around the room, no windows, no doors, no light, no nothing. And after that stage, the first thing I went and done was to get help with my mental health. Whenever I went to get help, that put a door into that room. Uh, because I was able to, to go out and get help. And then what I started doing after that was to... I started going to London. I started going to bigger cities. I started exploring more. Um, and that started putting a load of windows into the room and all this light starting to come into the room. And then I started to go down the route of um, leaving the job I was in because I was unhappy and opening a gym, um, which put another door into the room. Um, I left the girlfriend I was with at the time um, started sort of secretly dating guys and that put another door into the room um, and then all of a sudden all this light was starting to come into the room and all these doorways all these opportunities were starting to come into the room and if I didn't take any of them steps, if I didn't do any of them things, you, I would still be in that room with four black walls around me. Thankfully Chris got the help that he needed and took the necessary steps to live a more fulfilling life. With him being a closeted man at the time, what were relationships like for Chris in his mid-twenties? I I went into two relationships in secret. One was over a year long. Um, One was six months or something like that. Um, And I'd never, ever, before that, um, I was always sexually attractive to both women and men um, so I always knew I was bisexual and before that but I could never visualise myself actually having a boyfriend it actually 
was my number one no-no, if you know what I mean. I just visually didn't sit well in my head at all. I just didn't, I couldn't look at it and and see that that's what I wanted. I didn't have any urges for it. Sort of did, but like not not the whole big public relationship, if you know what I mean. Um, so I started, um, I actually met up with a fella, it was for a hookup. I think we had two or three hookups and then um, we just started hanging out a lot more. And um, he lived a very a good, long, long way away from me. Um, so well, it was about an hour's drive. So it was good that as well. It wasn't too close to home. But we we went into a relationship. Um, we seen each other as boyfriend, boyfriend. Um, anybody else just seen us as good mates, just good friends. Uh, best of friends and just hung out all the time. I told a couple of close friends who, and a couple of his close friends knew, and it was a it was a brilliant relationship. And I have to be, and I always will be, like tremendously sort of thankful to him, you know, for showing me that because he he did show me it, and he showed me that, you know, you can be in a relationship, you can be happy, and you can love a guy. And after me and him split up, it was it was several weeks when I decided to tell my family, um, you know, sort of what was, what you know, that I was gay. So my mum first, uh, when we were on holiday, um, there was a little bit of speculation in the family because the guy, um, I think the family has started to, I think they were eased into it a bit because the friendship that I had with this guy, the relationship I had with this guy, um, the family loved him and they thought he was brilliant um, and he was actually invited to go on a holiday with us um, and then whenever we broke up all of a sudden there was just that awkwardness of trying to explain why all of a sudden your mate wasn't going on holiday and stuff um, and I think alarm bells started firing uh, within the family and the family started to have an idea Um so I guess maybe that helped, maybe knowing that they they know something or they, they think something. Um, so I told my mum, and then my mum actually told my dad. Um, my wee sister, I think she knew about it before anyone. Um, and she was saying as a pound. Like, but, you know, with I think a lot of people like expect like great things. Um, when they do come out regards their family and stuff and I think that could be quite a, a selfish thing to expect like like I don't know what some people expect whether they expect party poppers to go up and blooms to fall or what it can be a wee bit selfish out there because you know especially when it comes to your parents they've had an image of like you and, and since you were born since you were a baby they visualised and they dreamt of your future and stuff and you know, all of a sudden you've told them something that's totally changed all that, but not just totally changed that, it's also put a lot of fear in them because they don't have a bloody clue about the world you're going into. They don't have an understanding about the world you're going into. All they've seen is what I had seen growing up in life, negative, 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 and then you're going to go into that world. Mm-hmm. You know, how could any parent, like, in that moment, genuinely be happy without having worry, you know, they have to have worry if they love you, like, 
Yeah. You know, unless your your parent is, you know, has grown up maybe within that world or within, you know, had a lot of gay friends, maybe understand it a bit more. But like, you know, the majority of parents, ninety percent and above, will have grown up where being gay, the gay community, is a a negative thing and comes across as a negative thing, and their education on it has been a an out of date education. Sure. Um, and since I came out, you know, my parents has obviously learned through me, and they're a lot more safer about it. They, they don't worry about it anymore the way they used to worry about it. But they were they were genuinely from the get go, like you know, they were supportive and they were there for me and they've helped me and they, they stuck by my side. I think that the, the biggest struggle when I first came out was just that fear and that, you know, just not being educated or understanding much. You know, any parent who can't accept their children because of sexuality is something that, that's, I guess it's one part that I still haven't got my head around yet. I just can't understand how a parent can turn their back on a child because of sexuality, whether it's because of they just don't morally agree with it, or if it's based in religion, or if it's based in whatever, you know, it's still that, that that's your child, and you know? like above all else, like you know, when you become a parent, like you, you know, any beliefs, any you know, whatever you have, go out the window because your whole life should be about that child and nothing else. All your children. That's what your whole life should be about. It's awful to say it, you know, but maybe I'm just really blessed to have the parents that I have um, and parents are as good as I have because, you know, even though I was scared to come out, I still didn't believe that you, I would lose them, not deep down. Like, you know, it was just the still as I talked about at the start. I think it was that childhood feeling that you'd done something wrong was still there as an adult. Um, but you know, I, I, my heart goes out to LGBT, LGBTQ people who are in that position and who have to go through that because, and I just hope that anybody is in that position just goes out there and absolutely smashes their own life out of the park because like. It's the best thing you can do for you. It's the best thing you can do to prove any point, to show anything you want to show, is to go out and make the most amazing and successful life out of yourself that you can possibly make. Um, because people just look upon that in such a way of... I remember me and John went to Port Stewart, and um, it was a really nice day in Port Stewart if you don't know it, it's a real coastline place up the north of Ireland and, and stuff. And I just decided to hold hands for once and give it a go. And we walked about 200 yards and I got most of the homophobic abuse I've ever got in all, my whole life in that one walk. Um, people pulling their children to the side, people, you know, telling their wains it was wrong, what you were doing. All that same age group, all that, you know, 40 age onwards, you know, I, don't, I never see it. I never, ever see it in people under the age of 40. Never. It's always that age group of 40 plus. Um, and, you know, I got to the end of that walk and I, I got into the car and I said to John, I was like, you know something, I know them people and I know the one thing that eats people like that up is seeing success. And I was like, 
I'm going to be the richest and most successful person I could possibly be in life because I know that that's the best way to get back at anybody. You could turn around and you could, you know, fire abuse back at them. You could try and argue it. You could try to do this, try doing that. If that person seen you walk to the end of the road and get into a 40,000 pound car and drive away, that was sick in the heart and soul out of them more than anything. <laughs> that person knew that you were a house a fucking quarter of a million or half a million. That person knew that you went on holiday six times a year, you drove fella somewhere. Drives them mad, like you know what I mean? And it's the same with the whole, you know, the the, the the church side of things too. Like when it comes to money, like they just there's just this real greed, this real jealousy, this real, you know it's the best way, you know, just make yourself as successful as you possibly can and use that as your medication to get through. Do you know what I mean? Because Sadly, within the LGBT community, there's a lot of people that, that get badly affected, and they use drink and, and drugs and um, you know the nightlife and stuff like that. Which you know the nightlife side of things, we all need a bit of it. But use that as your way of self-medicating. Use that as your way to like to cope and to get through and to drive yourself and to look after your mental health. So just get out there and do it because you go the other route. That's the route that everybody told you would happen and that's the last thing you want to do is prove anybody right mm-hmm. you mentioned um, John there just briefly a moment ago um, on December 12th 2020 something massive happened yeah. what happened yeah we finally got bloody married after our third time of trying we had non-stop entertainment the whole day we had a shot at closed at 11 because of the COVID thing um, but we it was because it was December we had uh, reindeers and sleighs and sleds there um, we had food all day we had entertainment all day we had Brian Busker playing all day then we had a fireworks display to the Greatest Showman theme at the, the front so it was uh, This Is Me and then the Greatest Showman song uh, at the front which was just amazing um, and then, then that night time we had a cabaret with the drag queens there that night so it was it was a much needed party for 2020 Um it was oh, it was a brilliant day. Like the two of us had no, like, even though it was in the middle of COVID, even though there was just so many obstacles and stuff. Like for us, it was just perfect at the end of it all. It was brilliant. Like, oh, who doesn't love a happy ending? Even in your darkest of days, there is still light at the end of the tunnel. Although Chris battled with many demons he still came out at the other end. A proud, gay, successful, happily married man. Chris offers some advice to anyone who is struggling at this present time. I think the best thing that I can say to somebody is, you know, I I was, I was there, I 100% get it, and I 100% get how you're feeling. I know the biggest thing you'll probably feel right now is that things aren't going to change. There's no hope. Why should you keep bothering? You know, all these negative thoughts in your head and like no light at the end of the tunnel. And I was genuinely there and I've been there many times. And I would say to you to take a look at my life now and everything that's went on in it the last four years. You know, having the most incredible experiences. Um, Stuff that, you know, are not supposed to happen um, from a fat kid, from Lauren when I originally grew up. Um, everything from TV to, 
reality MTV reality TV shows to you know having my own gym my own businesses getting married just endless like endless amount of things and I look back now like yeah there's been a lot of hard times but like I look back over them years you know if I was successful back then in taking a suicide attempt like to have missed out and all that you know to John not to be with me you know to this gym not to be here for the people in the community to not you know no trips to London no no one of them experiences you know no MTV show you know a madness like the thought of ever losing that do you know what I mean like get up start putting doors and windows into that room start making opportunities for yourself and it'll change it will change it certainly will change although it may not look like that now trust us Chris's story is proof that gay men can be successful we can be strong both physically and more importantly mentally gay men and the LGBTQIA plus community are some of the strongest people that I know it takes strength to own who you are own it these are our unique tales If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, please visit the SPIN website for further information and resources or contact the National LGBT Helpline at lgbt.ie or call 1890 Our Unique Tales is a five-part series which is being funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland under the Sound and Vision Fund. This is SPIN. SPIN.